You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, PJ Team Leader, former Indoc Instructor Supervisor, Entrepreneur, and Physician Assistant, Brian Silva. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another juicy episode of the Ones Ready Podcast. Today, we have some awesome guests in the team room with us, not of the Air Force type, but of the Coast Guard type. Really cool um, rescue swimmer mindset guys are on here to talk to us and talk to you guys about specifically their career field and what kind of drew them, all the kind of ins and outs. Part of the episodes that we're going to be doing um, with Green Berets and Rangers and you know anyone else we can get on the show to help differentiate those jobs between all the aspect war jobs and help you guys decide which one's the right one for you. So before we get into that, I want to thank you guys first. Um, you know, for it's been a little over a year now for us doing the Ones Ready podcast and the growth and the support from the community as well as from you guys, the fans, has been outstanding, and we just really appreciate you. Um, I know you guys are thinking about your New Year's goals and all that kind of stuff, getting into uh, 2021, and you're ready for 2020 to be over. But, uh, you know, any adversity is going to help you grow better. So hopefully 2020 was one of those um, years that you had some adversity that helped you grow. Um, so we're here to uh, also thank our partners here. We got Hoist. Um, if you guys haven't checked out Hoist, they make the best or best rehydration drink bar none it's iv level hydration and what that means for you guys is as soon as you drink it you get that absorption and then you get rehydrated um, literally like if i ever have a headache because i'm dehydrated or whatever i'll grab a hoist chug that thing and i'll feel better instantly so you guys uh, make sure you check them out use the code ones ready at checkout um, that's drinkhoist.com. all right so let's get into this rescue swimmer thing um i know for myself i we're going to talk about the movie later and we're going to bring it up a lot. So I'm not <laughs> going to bring it up right too much right day. now. Just right out of the face. <laughs> just, I just started. wanted to, because everyone knows about it, but it was an awesome movie and Ashton Kutcher did a great job. I think we'll, we'll see the opinions of the rescue swimmers, but I personally, it inspired me when I was going through training and everything like that. Cause it came out in like 2006 and I was um, getting through dive school or whatever, but it motivated me to just see like, you know, the stuff that I could potentially be doing if I were going to be on a helicopter doing rescues because PJs do similar missions, but that's what we're here to talk about. You know, what kind of stuff PJs versus rescue swimmers and all that kind of stuff do. And also I had to mention this, um, you know, unfortunately Peach didn't make the cut on the episode today because there was a height limit on this kind of thing. Just when you go on rides and this kind of stuff in these helicopters, there's a little <laughs> bit of a height limit. So I wanted to bring that up and I'm sorry that Peach couldn't be here today, but we have a five you. foot height requirement for today's podcast. Yeah, so he, unfortunately he Peach is, he's out. <laughs> All right. So if uh, you don't mind, we have Cody and Vince on, like I said, rescue swimmers, they do the rescue swimmer mindset podcast. So they're going to be talking to you guys a little bit about, you know, what they have done in the past and what they're doing now. So if you guys don't mind introducing yourselves. Yeah. So like Brian said, I am Cody Wright. I'm a former Coast Guard helicopter rescue swimmer. I got in the Coast Guard in 2011 and then got out in 2017. Vince. Um, I have a similar story. Vince here, swimmer number 873. And yeah, I believe I started in 2012, got out, um, 2016 and, uh, yeah, served at the same station as Cody near the end there in uh, Air Station Detroit. Good old Great Lakes. 
solid time yeah. <laughs> gorgeous i gotta be you know as an ohio guy like i'm wearing my brown sweatshirt right okay. now like the, the the great lakes uh that that's got to be a great place to be stationed there in the in the yeah. upper midwest is yeah. it sarcasm i hope it's sarcasm i don't know i don't know I think, <laughs> yeah it's like maybe 50 50 <laughs> no problem can you guys just do me a favor and walk us through it so what we want to do is we want to start to lay this all out sort of from brass tacks right so the coast guard has rescue swimmers the coast guard mission just for people that don't know or they might, might not be sensitized to the coast guard at all can you just give us a once over the world like what is the coast guard's mission and then how do rescue swimmers fit into that mission Okay. So Coast Guard, uh, there's a, they do a lot of missions, you know, mostly, mostly stateside. There are some that deploy to the Middle East with, uh, certain, certain cutters go out there, but our main mission is search and rescue and then law enforcement on, you know, stateside. So a lot of that's drug interdiction, uh, search and rescue from the boats and the helicopters. So our job as rescue swimmers specifically covers only search and rescue. So we pretty much cover every body of water that is like of a decent size in the country, uh, including the Great Lakes, like we were talking about, all five of those Great Lakes. Up in Alaska, we have an air station. We have two air stations in Alaska: one in Hawaii, uh, one in Puerto Rico, uh, Florida, a bunch in Florida. So we just cover all the lakes, search and rescue, law enforcement. I can't speak too much of it just because we haven't really done it in our in our career. Um, Vince, what do you got? I, did a, that? I actually did a, a little bit of a boarding team like member. So you know, you're doing those either you're basically boarding these different vessels uh i did that in the bering sea in alaska so basically you're that was funny like you yeah you get on these vessels and you're checking their basically their their life uh saving devices so like any type of vests um in case their ship sinks their their rafts you're inspecting all that but you're also checking their fisheries right and one like the one of the very few boardings i did i recall was yeah in the bering sea in alaska and you know I get paired with one of these fishermen and they take us down into the the bow of the ship and they go, um, you know, you basically ask them these questions. So I was like, all right, show me your PFDs. Um, what's the expiration on those? And he goes like, Oh sweet. Like, um, this is that. And then he goes, uh, do, but do you have any questions for me? And I go like, what do you mean? Like questions for you. And he's like, well, you know, like for me, and I was like, is this guy flirting with me? I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> and I go like, yeah, what, what about your, uh, whatever, like security, Thing i needed to check like what's the expiration on this and he goes like oh no do you have any do you have any questions for like about the show and i go like what show and he goes like the deadliest catch like you don't recognize the the boat and i go like oh never seen it oh wow <laughs> oh Just man Oh, dude, you like killed the shot. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the shot to his ego that yeah. you had no idea. Even after he led you into it, the fact that you just had no clue—that's that's fantastic. He's like, I'll still sign your PFD. I don't, I don't care if you've seen it or not. <laughs> you just have to like skulk on back home. Yeah, yeah. So the research after he was pretty famous about like, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Like, uh, and the Coast Guard went viral. You know, uh, I think it was like halfway through last year, uh, maybe this year, or whatever. But you know, the dude jumping onto the the submarine with yeah. pistol drawn like that was that was pretty badass like i don't really have a question there i just want to say that video was awesome and it's part of the mission that you know people don't people don't really understand that the coast guard really does really get after it as far as drug interdiction and, and you guys especially at the search and rescue like you guys you guys are really really busy yeah um yeah we were stationed down in uh i was stationed in marathon florida which is like on the on the basically like you know middle part of the florida keys and we would be dealing with like drug interdiction and you know uh migraine addiction like almost like a daily basis it was like pretty constant pretty crazy yeah 
That's crazy. So, you know, Vince, I'll start with you. What, what drew you to being a rescue swimmer? You know, did you want to go into the Coast Guard first and just happen to figure out that rescue swimmer was a cool gig or was it the other way around? Did you figure out what a rescue swimmer was and you're like, I want to do that? Well, so I'm actually Canadian, as you can see from if you're tuning in on YouTube in the, in the backdrop there. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was, I was a tree planter out in like the Western part of Canada and we had a, a medevac, like a pretty severe injury, like life threatening. And what who came in to assist us way back in the back countries in the mountains here was a Canadian star tech. So it's basically the Canadians version of the rescue swimmers and they're really proficient. Yeah. They're actually a lot more like an air force PJ than they are like, uh, yeah, we've uh, worked, uh, uh I swimmers. think Brian, did you ever work with the Canadian PJs? I, I have a couple of times. I, I never did. No. Yeah, yeah. We got a chance to work with them a couple of times. They're, they're badass, man. They're awesome. They're really, really proficient. What's your experience with them? Are they, yeah, I never, like, aside from that, I never interacted, you know? No, they're really good. Yeah. Comparatively, like all of the capabilities are, are the same. Obviously we have the, you know, the combat, um, you know, that combat aspect. And we, we do a lot more things with embedding with other ground teams and, and not specifically in the air, but those guys are, are really proficient. Their rope skills are, are dope. Their medicine is good. Like they're able to get out there and get after it. I've, I was really impressed by working with those guys a couple of times that we worked with them. So, yeah. Um, so Cody, what, what about you, man? Like how, how did you hear about it? Yeah, so I kind of have a long history at the Coast Guard. My dad spent 27 years in the Coast Guard. So I grew up going around air stations. Uh, he was an aviation electronics technician, which is a flight mechanic um, on the helicopters. So the flight mechanics and rescue swimmers were kind of hand in hand. So growing up, I was always around flight mechanics, rescue swimmers. And I ended up graduating high school, going to college for a year. And college was going okay. I, was, I wasn't failing or anything. I just was kind of bored. So I decided to join the Coast Guard and try to be a swimmer because I always kind of had it in the back of my mind growing up and I just kind of decided to go for it. Did, did either of you guys know about PJ or, or any other kind of rescue asset that was out there beforehand? So I, I had not heard of PJs. I was like, at the time I was looking at joining either the Navy to try to go to Bud's, try to be a Navy SEAL or just join the Coast Guard. Um, and just like my ties to the Coast Guard kind of drew me to that, but I hadn't heard of PJs at all. It wasn't until a couple years in that I heard of them. Nice. All right. And, I, uh, and Vince, I, I, I cut I, you I, off there. I want you to finish your story. Like you, we, oh, yeah. you were a tree planter. You sort of heard about <laughs> it. Uh, you worked with some Canadian PJs and then, and then how'd you find your way in? Yeah. I'll, I'll stick my feet from the maple syrup here. Um, yeah. So basically <laughs> I was out there, uh, these, these star techs came in and basically I started looking into that gig and I guess the reality of that was it's a long process of the selection. Um, just, you got to work through like a paramedic. I think they recommend you're a full paramedic before even joining. And then after that, it's like a big selection process and it's a, a, at least, at least two years. And I recall, you know, we talked about the garden as a joke, but that is like the thing I saw later on, like after I started researching the Sartec and I was like, Oh wait, this is a pretty cool Hollywood movie. Let me investigate. Right. And I did. And yeah, just, looking through the the system and the pipeline it seemed like if you're really driven at the time i enlisted you could become a fully operational rescue swimmer within like a year which i did um and that's basically why i went that route you get to travel a little bit more canada's restricted to canada and like great white north and like maybe the arctic but aside from that like in in the coast guard i got to travel in hawaii i was stationed there i got to go to guam japan um and then you have like all those separate islands like puerto rico so that was kind of my decision was i can become an operational swimmer faster and i get to travel a little more you get to thaw out a little bit down in the caribbean is that what you're saying yeah yeah exactly yeah get yeah. the canadian crust That's off you know 
You're right. Yeah. So, so one of the things that happens is we all get on here and we start saying things like pararescue or rescue swimmer. And I think we forget at times that the people out there listening, not all of them know exactly what that means. And these are pretty broad subjects. Uh, so Cody, let's start with you. When we say, when you say rescue swimmer, like what does that actually mean job wise? What, what do you actually do? Yeah. For the Coast Guard. So an aviation helicopter rescue swimmer. Um, so we have two main jobs after you get to your pipeline. Um, basically one portion of your job is doing aircraft, not aircraft maintenance, but like life-saving systems maintenance. So maintenance on, um, all life-saving gear on a helicopter. So, you know, you have life rafts, uh, flotation devices, stuff like that. And then our other job is to be like an actual rescue swimmer, part of the air crew. So you kind of split your duties there. The rescue swimmer portion is, um, you know, the one that like gets all the, the glory. It's just like the freaking, um, I mean, it's what you see in the guardian, all that stuff. And then there's the maintenance side, which is just, just like, I mean, no one wants well, to see a movie. Well, that it's to be like done. kind of boring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to see all the work that actually goes into making sure that everything goes off. They just yeah. want to see you, you know, they want to see you helo cast and go save somebody, you know, out of a sinking ship. Basically. Yeah. And but like yeah, one so, of the many things that like swimmers like to kind of keep on the DL and it's not, it's not a big part of our duties or collateral duties, but um, you know, technically we're actually aviation survival technicians. So rescue swimmers, the collateral duty, it's, it's responding as an EMT and whatnot to, you know, a, an overturned vessel or somebody that's injured out at sea or, or in the back country. Right. Um, but what the other folks in the service like to call the ASTs, the aviation survival technicians is aviation sewing technicians. Cause that's one thing that we occasionally do is like, sew and repair certain like things are related to aviation. Um, so like, it's like a little inside stab that they always like do to the ASTs, you know? Yeah. It's actually like a, a fair, like a decent amount of the AST a school or our, uh, training school. Like we spent a good two weeks just sewing, just sewing, not like every day, basically Monday through Friday. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are like a, a dash of seer, a dash of PJ. Um, but like, well, what's the, how, how deep into the medical do you all go? Um, you know, cause like those of us that aren't PJs maybe joke around a little bit the PJs are like, you know, meds with, uh, with knots, but like, you know, but they're, you know, they're pretty good at medicine, but yeah. like how, how far down that rabbit hole do y'all go? Yeah. So after you graduate from rescue swimmer school, they send you to EMT school and the coast guard puts on their own EMT school. It's just EMT, uh, basic. So once you graduate from that, you go to your air station, that's pretty much as far as the coast guard covers for the most part for, for medical. If you get stationed at, a, at, a one unit, Alaska air station, Sitka, they'll get you to like an advanced uh, EMT, but that's as far as we go. Cause we're mainly just transporting. We'll do uh, like medevacs off cruise ships, stuff like that, but we're just transporting um, survivors or victims and, and they're going to a, to a hospital for advanced care. So it's usually pretty quick, quick flights. As far as like what we're qualified to do as just as EMTs, you know, like kind of the basic traction, femur fractures, uh, King Airways. So that's one of the kind of cooler things that we can do that a, a regular EMT can't do, you know, putting those tubes in, inflating that, and then doing some assistant, assisted ventilation, uh, tourniquets, second chest wound, all that stuff. But we can't do the cool, like Air Force PJ needle stabbing in the chest thing, like, which is always, uh, highly. That's a technical term too. That's Air actually stab. needle stabbing <laughs> in the chest thing is, is actually what we call it. That's why yeah. they won't give us the qual. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was, was going to say that's, 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 <laughs> that's probably a good indicator that you're not ready for the needle stabbing yeah. in the chest thing. Is it, is it chest decompression? What is it? Like I am embarrassed. Now. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, decompress the chest. Needle thorsum Yeah. 
Nah, there we're we go. Uh, updating the Air Force website tonight to say exactly what you said. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah we're in. Needle stick, cool. needle stick them now. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the, some of the things that we get asked a lot also is, you know, everybody out there, the, the people thinking about joining our, uh, they want to know about dive, free fall, shooting schools, all the, all the cool guy stuff. So uh, hit me with the, the cool guy stuff and then um, any missions that you've had where, where you've utilized some of those cool guy skills, you know, to give me the, the top 10% cool guy stuff that y'all do. Well, so for cool guy stuff, one of the knocks, I guess, on rescue swimmers is we don't get a lot of cool guy stuff. We just get our basic um, rescue swimmer, you know, we get to rescue swimmer school and then we're kind of qualified to jump out of the helicopter, jump into, you know, big seas. And that's, that's pretty much like our big thing. Like that's all we got. Um, but some of the cooler stuff on the Great Lakes, I didn't get any of these cases, but we do a lot of time training. Uh, we have this um, training center in Astoria, Oregon. It's called Advanced Helicopter Rescue Summer School. And we'll basically like we're jumping out of helicopters into like 30, 30 foot waves, breaking seas and, and doing rescues just with our simulated survivor it would be like me and Vince going out there and and just jumping into those waves and getting after it. Um, cave rescues, we'll do uh, cave training out there. So basically there's this big cave that's probably 30, maybe it's like 40 feet wide at the opening. And then it goes back like probably a, maybe like 60 to 80, 80 yards or 80 meters. And, you know, you go in there and you learn cave hydraulics. So you swim in there, breaking waves, breaking into the cave, and you learn how to maneuver inside a cave based on the hydraulics of the water that's moving in there. So if you're a survivor in there, you have to know how to get in there, um, navigate to the cave, usually like stay to the right. And the wave hydraulics kind of, or the ocean hydraulics kind of take you through the cave. You can get your survivor and kind of get out of there safely. So if you guys have seen like the guardian, right. Which you guys brought up that cave, which is apparently in Alaska in the movie, right? Don't put it on us. You, you want to bring it yeah, up again. <laughs> um, but we just, talk, we just talked about it with somebody stationed in Kodiak, Alaska, which is where that movie was based. Um, and we were talking about the cave. The cave is actually in a story, Washington. That's the same cave that Cody is just talking about, um, that we train in. Um, okay. yeah. So it's pretty cool. That's yeah. So, and then my last thing that I've got for this round of questioning is besides the hair thing, you know, you guys obviously have a, a lot in common with the uh, pararescue. I was actually hoping that both y'all were still active and you had hair like that. Oh and yeah. Like, I'm joining the coast guard tomorrow. That's why I got out. <laughs> That's I had to grow yeah, the hair out. So I had to get out. <laughs> get it. But, uh, yeah. And, and you talk about like jumping into the, the high seas and all that other stuff. Like it's not a big deal. Like, to me, that's that's a big deal. But like, what are what are the situations where you guys would be called um, if there was a PJ team team also in the area? Like, what's what's the big difference? What do you guys? Uh, why would they call you instead of them? Besides the hair thing. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's a tough question. That probably go, comes down to the the like whoever's like on operations, I guess, for that specific mission. From my understanding, and talking on our podcast with Brendan deckard um he was talking about yeah like sometimes way out there in the in the back country it tends to be more pjs i guess it, it comes down to capacity as well as like which station is located closer and can respond the most efficiently and expeditiously to to the situation at hand um i'd say overall on the coast if it's within the proximity of the range of a, a 60 helicopter it would probably come to the coast guard but again, I don't know. I don't know specifically. I feel like the PJs can get out a little further, you know? 
Yeah, that's definitely a tough question to answer. I mean, um, you know, I just wanted to put that out there just because we're doing kind of uh, verses and people kind of see like, oh, if it's this mission, it's going to be definitely this person. Or if it's this mission, it's going to definitely be this person because that's how the internet works. And, you know, those people that are on the other side of Reddit, of course, know everything because they've <laughs> read some stuff. Um, but, you know, the reality is kind of like you're saying, you know, depending on the situation, who's ready, who's going to respond faster because you have quoted response times. There's you know, a lot of factors that go into it. So um, that's good to just get out there. All right, so um, I'm going to bring up the Guardian again, but this this one I just want to actually get your guys' opinion on it because I know um, for Pararescue, I kind of wish there was another Pararescue movie. So I know there was one that came out, but it wasn't really as much about like following through the the actual PJ through the entire story is kind of about the case and all the stuff that happened around it. Um, but I think the guardian, like I said, it was, I love that movie. I actually happenstance. I didn't mean to do it today, but I turned on the TV. It was on. And I just sat there and watched it. And I was like, oh, Dang, wow. I'm going to talk some rescue swimmers right now. <laughs> so how do you guys feel about the movie? Um, and what do you think that it's done? Is it actually like, you know, what you guys have done operational? I know you talked about having different jobs and stuff, but you know, is it similar, not similar? If a person watches it, can I be like, that's it. I'm doing that. And that's what it's going to be or what? Yeah. Uh, Vince, you want to start with this one? Sure. <laughs> um, wait, I, I just want to know what's the, the PJ movie. Cause that sounds fun to watch too. Yeah. It's, the last it's called full the last, measure. yeah, the last full measure. So the, the archetypical pararescue man, his name's Bill Pitsenbarger. He won the medal of honor. Uh, so he initially was a, a full awarded the air force cross. And after 20 years of lobbying and a, a lengthy process that was actually undertaken by the people that he saved on the ground in Vietnam. So he basically, uh, single-handedly, stopped a an army infantry unit from being overrun and he saved you know tens you know 20 casualties um and he actually did so he waved the helicopter off like five times so he he no kidding he risked his own life um knowingly to save everybody so the the army unit actually went through an entire process of lobbying through congress to get him the medal of honor and then he was he was eventually upgraded from the air force cross to the medal of honor the last full measure goes through that entire process. But like Brian was saying, they focus more on, you know, getting it through the wickets of, uh, you know, Congress and figuring out what actually happened on the ground that day and hearing the stories of the survivors. It didn't really talk about pararescue and, and, you know, like pipeline or, you know, like the guardian did, they took you through, you know, kind of the process to get there. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that Meg Ryan movie with, I didn't want to say like Denzel Washington or something, um, back in the day and like mad Damon got super skinny for it or whatever. Exactly. Big, big yeah. here. But anyway, sorry, get, getting on. Yeah. The, the guardian, I'd say like a lot of swimmers would certainly disagree, but I would personally say it's a overall cinematic, so the cinematically great movie, right? Um, you know, Hollywood's going to make it entertaining. Yeah. You, I, what, who would want to watch somebody doing maintenance in the, you know, on the aircrafts, maybe for like a little interaction and like building the rapport between the swimmers. Sure. But like, you're not really going to show that you're going to show the action of it. And on that standpoint, it's fairly accurate. Of course, not every time there's a start or search and rescue call, you're not going out in these like nightly big storms, like hurricanes, like, like they're showing in the movie. Um, a lot of times it's just a medevac, um, on say like a, just a big ship. Right. And that's, pretty standard um putting him in a litter and then getting him hoisted and, and back to safety so um yeah i would say it, it's cinematically it's great and it's not that inaccurate you know per se i guess we, we could talk about the ending <laughs> like yeah that was a little like, <laughs> that's what oh. i was gonna bring yeah. good <laughs> well i would say like also just to cover the training portion too um 
I always like to say like the training portion of that movie, you know, like the first, I guess, like three quarters of the movie when they're actually in rescue summer school is I think it's portrayed actually to make it look easier than it actually is. And then the cases are a little more, little more uh, like Hollywood, Hollywood kind of throws in their little, uh, their spice in there for those, for those cases. Usually they wouldn't be like that intense. So if you kind of flip flop that, it, it would be like a perfect movie to portray the job. Just FYI, we and did the, do like that that GQ type breakdown on YouTube. So oh yeah, <laughs> you can check the rest of our mindset. We, yeah. we literally are there watching the movie and be like, hmm, well, you know, that's not really accurate or whatever. I'll, I'll make sure to link it. I'll put it. I'll put a card okay. in right here so they can click over and check it out. And yeah. the last scene where you know they basically the senior chief, senior chief Ben Randall, has to let go, you know, and fall into the ocean because they can't hoist up two guys because they're too heavy. Basically what happened is you could shear that cable and you could just pick up senior chief later. It wouldn't be a big deal. Um, so in real life, the, the helicopter just lower <laughs> down, drop senior chief in the water from like 10 feet and they just like fix the cable real quick. And then they, they'd pick them up. It would be a pretty much no big yeah, deal. Yeah. It's like they, they address the fact that this hoist cable was malfunctioning. Right. But they, what the out altitude, like the, the cyclic, the collective wasn't working. Like the, the pilots couldn't go down a little bit to just make sure he doesn't fall. From yeah. They like could have just kind of plopped him in the water stories. Yeah. <laughs> just lower him down and then get him later, drop him a raft and be like, see you yeah. later, Ben Randall. Like a lot of options. Pilot there. had a vendetta. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, they had to make it cinematic. And I think that, like, if you look at the special features for that movie, the, there's an alternate ending where he, they both make it back into the aircraft. I think like Disney was trying to push it or something, even though it's not a Disney movie. And like, uh, yeah, like it was like instead of of the sorry spoiler, but like the Cedar Chief dying, it's like they both get back and then uh, Ashen Kutcher goes, "Well, you don't see that in the manual or something like that." <laughs> it's pretty corny. <laughs> so then you guys, I don't know why this. Well, this if you haven't watched it in fifteen years, me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't watched it, it's been out for fifteen years, so you know it is what it is. Six cents. Uh, never mind, I won't go there. All right, so <laughs> yeah. Um, next one is, so we got that, you know, guardian stuff out of the way. It's still a great movie in my opinion. Um, so I want to go to a little bit more about like how your guys' team is structured. I know you're talking about having, um, you know, a guy that, that you're part of the air crew once you're actually flying and doing all that kind of stuff. How do you, how's your guys' team structured and how do you guys go to pick up, you know, if it is that guardian scenario where you're trying to pick up some guy from a cutter or whatever, what's your team composition look like and aircraft, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So for search and rescue, we have two aircraft. So we have the, uh, the 60, 60, which is just basically like a, a converted Blackhawk. And then we have a 65, I think it's called the H865 dolphin. It's the orange ones you see flying around on the coast. A lot of times, um, they're a lot weaker than the, uh, the sixties, but basically in either crew. So also it kind of depends on where you're stationed at, whether you're on a 60 or 65, um, both aircrafts have two pilots. Um, usually like a more senior pilot, pilot in charge or pilot in command, and then a, uh, a more junior pilot. Then you'll have a flight mechanic, which is, a usually what we call an aviation mechanic, aviation mechanic ignition and then a maintenance technician and then AET, yeah. which is aviation, aviation electronics ignition. They're the flight mechanics. So they're doing basic air crew stuff. They're talking on the radios a lot of times, and they're kind of talking with the pilots, keeping everything safe. And then there's a rescue swimmer station in the back and he's doing pretty much nothing until you get out to the case. And then he's the guy going in or guy or girl going in and, you know, doing the job and then getting hoisted back up. Yeah. It's the same thing as PJs. We're pretty much, well, we're supposed to be flight following quote unquote, um, the entire time we're in the back, but you know, most of the time, um, we just kind of figure out like, yeah, yeah we're still almost there. How far are we up? We're at 30 minutes and take a nap or whatever. Yep. Um, <laughs> unless we're in 
you know, a place where we have to actually be looking out there. It's kind of like but, a piece of cargo, right? Like that, like, like let's check everything in the helicopter. Do we have like our, our rafts? Do we have whatnot? And then su- swimmer. Yeah. Okay, the swimmer's there. <laughs> and the, the, the joke with the air crew is like, you could just get like a golden retriever to do our job. You can just throw them in the back. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we do the same thing. So we, we joke, we're like, Hey, if they can ever figure out how to make a hoist with opposable thumbs, the helicopter seems to think they don't even need us anymore. Cause they'll just be able to pick people right up and yeah. then poof, no more PJs. Right. Like same thing for rescue swimmer. If they ever figure out how to have a hoist with opposable thumbs, you guys are out of a job. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that. Like the longevity of, uh, you know, these career paths, like I'd say, you know, I don't see a, a near future or like an end for rescue swimmer anytime soon, but you know, eventually like things, you know, less and less you need them. And, and a lot of things are contracted too, as well as like, you know, as far as search and rescue goes, like the oil riggers, right. They all have their own, um, system in place for that, that they wouldn't call the coast guard for that. They have, they have somebody hired as a rescue swimmer for them. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting thinking about that, like where, where the career will, will go and how it will evolve in the longer term, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll ask that question a little bit further down. Um, I want to get to just kind of the day to day. Um, I know I'm stealing it again, but we mixed it up. I didn't mean to steal it from you, Trent, but you know, at the last second, Peach kind of had to duck out. So, um, we moved some names around, but as far as the day to day, um, you know, life as a rescue swimmer, what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. So it varies kind of depending on where you're stationed. So we are both stationed air station Detroit. So basically what you do is you go into work. Um, so there's two different types of days. You have like a duty day where you're on duty and then a non-duty day where you're just going into work, doing your job training and then going home. So on a typical non-duty day, you go into work like seven 30, maybe eight o'clock. Um, there's maintenance that you're going to be doing. So we'll have like maintenance on life rafts, uh, radio, stuff like that. Random maintenance for the helicopter. Um, you do that in the morning. Typically you do that for a few hours, then we'll go hit the pool or, um, hit the weight room, do some sort of, some sort of workout for a couple hours. Typically then we'll go back to work for like an hour or two more and that's your day. So it's just a lot of basically split 50, 50 workout and maintenance, um, pool, non-pool. And if it's a duty day, basically you come in and you're standing duty at the air station. You don't go home at night. It's kind of like a firefighter. I guess if you'd imagine that you just kind of go into work, hang out with your crew until there's a, car, a case. And then you, you go out, go out if you have to. Um, what about there's training flights too. So maybe you can go into work on like a typical, like a, maybe like a Tuesday, you go into work, do some maintenance, go out for a flight, fly all afternoon, come back, wash your, wash the airplane and go home. So it kind of depends day to day. It's a lot of just random moving parts. Got anything else, Vince? Well, I guess the one benefit that you mentioned a little less is like, you know, we are the, the jocks, if you will. So, you know, jocks need to get their PT time in. We got yeah. to go bench. Yo, you're, you're right. impeding on our bench time right now. So um, we do right. get a, like a lot of slot of, of dedicated training time. You know, like the, the job, if needed, is very physical. You need to stay in shape. You yeah. Not be the drown. You can't person. talk about going into 30 foot seas with breaker, especially in the cold and not being like peak physical condition. Like you're, you're just setting yourself up for failure. If you think that you're just going to hop into that environment and just be okay. Yeah. We have, we had a great guest on our podcast, uh, Sarah Faulkner, who's one of the few, uh, female rescue swimmers to ever make it. And she was talking about just one of the grueling mission that she had to just catch up with a sailboat, I guess. And just the way it was drifting away, um, in these heavy seas was like, you know, just, total sprinting because she was sprinting back and forth pulling survivors and she had to get back to the boat and uh yeah she got like sucked in underneath the 
the stern and whatnot. So, um, oh, it's terrifying. And the props and stuff. The, so. the ocean is terrifying. The open ocean is terrifying, and big, nasty, angry open ocean is more terrifying than anything else. Very. Like it just is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hawaii so you guys, is like like when I would deploy in Hawaii, it's just lovely. It's like Nemo Land. You're like, oh look, it's so blue. It's just like nice and cyan colored. <laughs> but like, yeah, you get into like the colder, like the Atlantic, and it's just black. And yeah. you're like, I I would never picture like a shark. I would always picture like a giant octopus, even though they're like way in the abyss. I would always picture that, like like uh, like tentacles coming out of nowhere. <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Brian. Brian and I were uh, off the coast of San Diego, so we we're doing some some helo cast training. So Brian and I were out there, and I distinctly remember floating around with Brian, like you know, mock fifteen miles, I guess, off the coast of San Diego. We're floating in the Pacific. We've got all of our strobes on. We're bright and shiny. And for one second, the only thing I thought to myself was, "You don't belong here." And there's something that's evolved for millions of years to eat you. And you look really good to that thing right <laughs> really now. Really good and, and shiny. Then, then, I just, then I just had to like completely delete it from my memory because I would just be overcome with fear. I'd be like, oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah. So let's take it all the way back to the beginning, right? So the nitty gritty, what everybody wants to know when, you know, especially with us, all of the questions that we get are about, you know, hey, what's assessment and selection like for you guys? What does the pipeline look like for you guys? So from day one, you apply to be a rescue swimmer, you show up on day one, you can get through, I, I assume you have to go through some sort of Coast Guard basic training before you you go to your A school. So we'll, we'll just breeze past that. But you get out of that basic training, you show up to rescue swimmer day one of the pipeline. What does that look like? And what should people be really set up to expect? on that day one as they start to go through. Yeah. So the Coast Guard recently changed their whole procedure for sending sending anyone interested in going to be a rescue swimmer through. So um, I'll just go through the new one just to save time. So the new thing is basically when you go talk to your recruiter, you take a PT test. And if you pass this PT test, it's just like pretty simple. It's 50, it's 40 push-ups, um, 50 sit-ups, three pull-ups, three chin-ups. You do a 500-meter swim under 12 minutes, do a mile-and-a-half run under... I think 12 minutes also, if you pass that PT test, you're going to get this contract called an Annex X contract. And basically what that means is after you get out of boot camp, they send you to an air station or close to an air station where you get to work out with this, with basically an airman or, or Annex X syllabus. That's just full of workouts and kind of sign offs specific to being a rescue swimmer. And if you successfully complete all that, they send you straight to um, ASTA school, which is just rescue swimmer school. And that's in Elizabeth city, North Carolina. So that process is roughly, I would say, you know, anywhere from 12 months to 18 months. And once you get to ASTA school, that's another, um, I believe it's four months there, but they, they recently changed it. So when we went through it was four months, it could be like, it could be six now. Um, I think they might've added on some extra classroom stuff there. And that, that portion in Elizabeth city, North Carolina, the ASTA school portion is the part you see in the guardian. That's just the, uh, the grueling everyday working out, you know, Monday through Friday, like seven to four, four or five, you know, or 1700 and working out weekends off and you're just getting, getting beat down pretty much for the whole time. So we, we just had a, somebody that's going through this Annex X program on, on the potty, as we like to call it um, <laughs> on the podcast. And he was basically saying, yeah, mo the majority of folks right now that are trying to be rescue swimmers, it seems like the best route to success is going through this program. But there's still like the folks that are just stationed at a random station, right? And that want to go that career field, we call it a rate. So an MOS rate right, for you guys or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so you could be stationed on a cutter like I was and still want to go swimmer. But then there's that whole, um, 
I guess there's the logistics of trying to train on a cutter. Like that was my experience, right? Like that was where I got stationed. I didn't really, that's not what I specifically wanted per se, but like you had to make do right. And then yeah, you're training in the gym in the bow there, like rock and seas up and down trying to like do your pull-ups and like timing the waves. Um, so it's definitely like if you're, if you're set up like that, I, I, I see it as like NXX programs folks are like the, they're going to make it like they're the the high value athletes. And then there's the free agents <laughs> that are like <laughs> <laughs> the walk-ons, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. the walk -ons. yeah. No, I, the yeah, I, I totally did the same thing, man. So I, you know, I, I went through, I, I'm not going to, uh, display my ego and pretend like you guys have listened to my YouTube about my cross training, okay. but it was essentially the same thing back in, back in the day when I cross trained. So I did another job and then I wanted to be a PJ. I just kind of like showed up. I took a, a bland PT test. I took our past test. I got, you know, approved for cross training and I just kind of like showed up at selection. It was just like, Hey everybody, um, let's hope this works out. Um, you know, luckily yeah. I'd, I'd been there, I'd been there before, so I knew what to expect, but uh, yeah, same sort of thing. Just, you know, doing another job and, and training and, and wanting to go over to the other side of the fence. Cause it turns out it was awesome. So it's, it's awesome to hear that you, you actually cross train from another job. That's kind of, kind of cool. Yeah. So the, it was set up a little differently back then. Um, but now if you're looking to join the coast guard and you want to be a rescue swimmer, 100% get the NXX contract. Don't try to join the coast guard and try to lateral over. It's, it's going to be way harder and not going to be fun. So just throwing that out there. Yeah. We have, yeah. We have people that'll ask all the time. They'll be like, you know, should I get in and, you know, maybe I'll, I'll get in and try to be a firefighter or I'll get in and try to be a cop and then go PJ later. And we always tell people the same thing. Like, why, why would you do that? If you want, if the, if the goal is to be a rescue swimmer, then go to Annex X and go be a rescue swimmer. Like that's logically what I would think. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. As you guys are going through your A school, you guys are, I, it's obviously really, really heavily focused in the pool and on the water. Do you guys do anything on the land like log PT or rucking, or do you guys do any land based, uh, you know, during those beatdown sessions? Are you guys, are you guys land focused as well during that time? Yeah. Go ahead, Vince. Well, yeah. So <laughs> usually you start your day off in rescue swimmer school on what's called the grinder, right? So, um, you go with the grinder and there's these pull-up bars and there's, uh, usually take out some kettlebells, some box jumps and all this nonsense. And yeah, you'll, you'll do some runs. You'll do basically a CrossFit type grueling workout, beat you down. And, and you know, for like three hours. Of, yeah. The severity yeah. of this can, can vary depending on the day, of course. And then you'll get in the pool after that. So that's more or less your warm up on the average day. It's rare that you go straight into the pool. Um, and yeah, like I recall, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a log. We, I think we used it like one time, but it was kind of funny because I think they, you know, they base it around the Navy SEALs, like Buds and and maybe PJs. Uh, you know, they had it there maybe for occasional PT, like, you know, or, or disciplinary regions or whatever. But we would always like look at it like in the morning and we would just call it like two different adjectives like, ah, the log of truth and despair, the log of love <laughs> and hate <laughs> i love i love team jokes like there's no there's no real way to explain to somebody why that team joke is funny unless you were there so yeah. it's one of those things like, yeah. and we all have them too like you explain it to somebody you're like why did you guys call that the log of truth and justice like well it was hilarious you're just gonna have to you're just gonna have to take my word for it yeah, yeah. so we talk about getting the right guy or gal all the time, like our selection and assessment. It's a personality based assessment and selection. Like we're going way towards, you know, more attributes. Can you tell me what kind of attributes people that, that you are looking for as a, as a, as an AST, as a rescue swimmer, you're looking for, you know, this set of attributes, um, that, that are going to be successful in your career field. 
It's a good question. We were never in the the position of you know an instructor, right? So actually granting the permission to for anyone to become a rescue swimmer. Uh, though sometimes people would shadow us to to try to you know see the day in the life of the swimmer, and we train them or whatnot. Um, but as far as like Cody, what would you think as far as somebody's personality? If we were to to go down that route, like what would you say makes a good candidate? Personality is kind of hard to. Uh kind of pinpoint because it is it varies so much from person to person um i'm trying to think one of the big traits you'd want in someone to get you want someone to be really adaptable to to like a really like complex situation so that's something they select for in the training and i'm sure it's the same for all i mean it's the same for all kind of so really like high attrition rate programs like this but they're looking for people who can you know be told a set of instructions you know you got to do this this and this and then they'll give them like a, a scenario, like, Hey, here's a scenario. There's this boat sinking over here in the pool. Um, there's four people in the water. They'll tell you all that. Then you have this like set of rules you have to go through and checklists. You got to go through, you got to execute every single one of those things to the T and then get everyone safely out of the water. But a lot of times they'll, you'll hear this certain thing and then they'll completely change it up. They'll be like freaking 10 people in the water or like one person in the water, but it's totally different, like a medical thing. So it's, it's adaptability, I think. And staying say- calm under pressure. Yeah. I'd say one thing that, um, I'd say most swimmers, as far as like the personality and like the mindset goes, right. Because yeah, Cody's right. Personality is always different, but, um, as far as the mindset goes, one thing that Cody and I have realized about ourselves is kind of like when shit hits the fan, everything seems to slow down and you're, you go like, I guess your defense mechanism, if if you want to call it defense mechanism is to just be calm and just, just kind of relax. And like, if anything, that's like, it's stressful in a sense, right? But it's the time when you feel oddly least stressed. It's, you know, you're everything you, you start to take control of your steps and, and you, you go through that checklist and you do the best you can. Um, but that's not to say like in our everyday life, there's stress and like anxiety, right? But like when shit goes south, then yeah, that it gets to the point where you're like, like you can, you can adapt and you, you go through the, the, the checklist, you know? just hit problem solving mode like yeah, ready, set, I mean, go, yeah. yeah and like just block everything else out right yeah would you, would you say that's that what they look for oh nice yeah sorry uh is there a, a place where people are too smart to do the job is there like a, a silver lining because we always talk about it because <laughs> you talk about like when when it hits the fan is there is there like a i don't know if you guys the, the asvab and all that like your 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 academic scores if you're too smart do you guys see like a a, a paralysis by analysis or whatever in that situation i'd say yeah, yeah. um <laughs> like personally I, I would get into trouble and and probably it was uh you know surrounding my my mindset um you know maybe i, I would come off as like know-it-all or whatever um that's definitely like something to, to watch out for like i had pretty good asvab score or whatever i, I would don't i wouldn't associate asvab with necessarily being smart you know it's just like yeah two things together but um yeah I, i'd say um you know one of the funny things and i think that that's kind of your question is when I was getting approved to go to rescue swimmer school, right through my airman program. And personally, I thought this airman program was harder than rescue swimmer school. Um, the chief, like the, the person in charge of me, you know, he has to sign off and like what he wrote in like the little comments was, uh, what was it? It was like smart enough for a swimmer career, a successful swimmer career and dumb enough to make it through the suck. 
so dumb enough <laughs> right. to make it through the training. <laughs> Perfect. Nail um, on the head. Yeah. 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 I got it. I just want to so, make sure that the Brian's theory is, is sails through all these type of career fields. Goes across <laughs> branches yeah. too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Listen, and, and we haven't we haven't been able to disprove it yet. It's a it's a pretty solid theory. That's yeah, makes sense. Yeah, the ability to kind of shut down and like I think one of my the the way I would perceive, you know, like the, when it would get really rough is like I would just yeah take take my bot like leave my body to do the exercise and take my mind out and just kind of watch myself like it like it's a movie or something and you're just like you know like you make your body more of a, a robot you know like like you assess when it's breaking down and when it's getting exhausted and you make those adjustments but you try to take that mindset away from it and leave the body to do its thing and just like you know you're like oh look that that guy's in pain like oh it's rough on him we'll see if he makes it but let's <laughs> let's try to make these adjustments from you know it's like the the monday morning quarterback you're just you take yourself away from from the pain you know the suck you know yeah we call our students cones and we call it coning out you just cone out and do it nice stop worrying about anything else uh, <laughs> but what what are those uh like high attrition events or the the hardest part of y'all's uh selection process that uh, either was difficult for you all or, um, you know, you see you lose a lot of candidates during those processes. So I'd say there's three different points where you're likely to to fail. So if if you're one of those people that are going to quit, you're going to do that in the first like two weeks of, of summer school. It's basically there's no tests or anything. They're just they're just kind of beating you down on the grinder and then they're putting you in the pool and they're giving you a bunch of things to do in the water. So a lot of underwater laps, um, the infamous buddy brick drill where you're just like, I don't know if you guys know about that. Maybe we can cover it later. Buddy brick drills, uh, treading with a brick and um, just basically seeing how far you can go until you pass out. So there's all that. And if you get through that and don't quit, there's another test that comes about probably two months through rescue summer school, which is called the one man. It's just a one, it's a non-compliant survivor. So basically you do a simulated rescue with rescuing one person. And that's a big weeder that weeds out a lot of people. A lot of people can't really deal with the complexity of a, of a case of dealing with like a, a simulated case, or they just aren't strong enough to, to handle the survivor or the survivor who's trying to basically choke you, take you underwater and drown you. So that was Hodge so, and, from and, the movie, right? Yeah. yeah that's Hodge, <laughs> and you did that at the yeah. elbow. That's actually, yeah, that's a good one. You just elbow the instructor right in the face and good to go. So that, is, that never <laughs> works out for everybody out there. Do not do that. Yeah. That instructor is going to murder you. That's, yeah. When they teach you to, yeah, just panic and hit them in the face. That's definitely so, the last thing you want to do. <laughs> I, I run a side gig podcast, a wildertainment podcast. And I just had somebody that failed that was in my swimmer class that failed out. Um, and that not, he didn't fail out because of this specific event, but he did fail out because yeah, he got into that panic state and his in initial instinct when the instructor jumped on him because he jumped on him from face on, which is often what happens. Uh, he was like really out of oxygen and like kind of hyperventilating, panicking. And he, yeah, he punched him like right in the face right? and he got him under <laughs> yes. control and they called a, a <laughs> training timeout. Um, so yeah, that, I think that that's part of it, right? Is going through the steps that they teach you, not like going rogue. That said, you know, in, in those kind of environments, yeah, you should be going through your steps, but like, if you, I guess you got to do what you got to do. Uh, another candidate I recall, he did, I, we call it like the karate cha, like, <laughs> like the instructor, again, they, they come in with like a big swooping, um, arm movement and usually wrap your neck and they take you underwater and you're you got to do these these things to get them off right but the first thing you do when there's a panicky survivor is you take them underwater because like because i don't know if they do this now because like they've learned jujitsu but what we would do is you take them underwater so that you know they they want to let go of you because you're no longer a buoyant 
you're not a survival gear anymore. You're, you're hindering their survival. So they'll let go, but be um, the anchor. Yeah. But usually you want to do that immediately. And I guess this instructor like hopped on him, like with the arms and like this guy went like with the karate chai, just going chop. And like he blocked <laughs> like the instructor from like swooping his arm. And then like the instructor was like, that's not what we're doing. And I, he like, came again. I don't know I like, why okay, I'm ready. That's hilarious to me. Just <laughs> <He's> like, <"No." laughs> And like, yeah, he passed the test. Like it was kind of like he added his own step, right? To, to, he just needed an extra breath. He's like, not yet. I'm not going underwater. Yet. I need to, okay, now let's go. <laughs> that could work yeah. in real life. Yeah, I don't yeah. Not, you know. uh, just surprise the not, person. It's not dumb like, if it works, yeah, man. Yeah, like yeah. if it were, like you know. <laughs> and as far like, as I'm uh, not even mad. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. As as far as drills go, Cody mentioned briefly the buddy brick, and yeah, we're just gonna spew all over the guardian. But that's in, in that movie you guys saw like people moving bricks at the bottom of the pool, um, and in the movie you know, they played it off as a very simplistic task. It was just one another little drill. But that is definitely as far as just not a. Uh, uh, test but just as a a drill you have to do and kind of be successful at that's a brutal one because i recall you know it what the evolution is you have a brick i think it's like 10 pounds at the bottom of this 12 foot deep pool and you need to have both hands on the brick at all times except for when one person can come up to take a breath so at all times there needs to be at least one hand on it but you can only move it when two folks have their hands on the brick pushing it forward right and then you can you can stop one person stays on the brick gets an, one breath usually, and then comes back down. And it gets you into that like hyperventilative state of, uh, you know, it's no longer just holding your breath. It's, it's the timing of it. It's working as a team. That's definitely a very hard drill. And it, it got so hard that like, I recall, um, one, like the, the airmen that were next to me in this drill one time, they had like their strategy was, it was just a 50 yard for this one. So back and forth of the pool. And they were like, you know what? I don't want to do this nightmare of up and down bobbing let's just because you know we're trained well most of us can do a 50 yard underwater we're like they were like let's just take the brick and both swim it one hand on it back and forth and yeah like on their way back you know i'm, I'm underwater doing my drill and i see one of the guys is just like floating head down at the bottom night of the night pool. yep yeah take that. night night and i was like what's do you guys, he doing like it doesn't look like he's do just guys, uh, staying there you know <laughs> do you have a term for that we call that meeting the wizard when you have shallow water blackout mm, no <laughs> No, we don't you guys no. We need oh, shallow water blackout. Yeah. Uh, Brian, are we allowed to say if we have, does that make oh. me not a PJ? No, <laughs> you've never <laughs> like, lost consciousness. Yeah. I've never lost consciousness, uh, due to my staying underneath. I, it, it's always a thing. You're, you're always really close. Like I know, you know, especially, you know, our underwater iterations, like sometimes you do five, but you know, Brian, when he was an instructor, his favorite thing would be like, okay, well, there's our fifth one. And then he would just say, one's ready and you're getting ready for the sixth one. And you're like, holy crap. So we, we've all definitely been close. I don't think I've ever blacked out hard, but I've definitely like my vision has gotten to about a, a, a soda straw size. And I'm like, oh, well, here we go. Yeah. And we actually also do the buddy brick. Um, we don't do it for the 50 meters, but I don't, you know, give too much away on that kind of stuff. Right. But you'll do pretty much the same kind of thing um, in our selection. Um, so, and the, and the one buddy rescuer, the one person rescue also, it's not as intense as, you know, being a test like your guys is, it's kind of just like, are you able to know what to do for a panicking survivor, you know, basically, but it's not as much of a test. So, so what would y'all recommend as, uh, if I'm, if I'm 17 years old out there right now, I want to join under the annex X program. 
what, what should I start training on today? Like kind of like, are there like three things in succession that I st- should start working on if I want to be successful? Yeah. So uh, the big one is going to be just make sure you can meet the, the minimum PT numbers. So, um, those numbers are posted everywhere online. It's not hard to find basically it's just upper body strength. <laughs> you, would, you would think they're not hard to find. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Bold of you to assume. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we, we, we check talk on Reddit. about them, like all the time on our, on our, like, yeah, yeah. Document. So if you can pass the, the minimum PT test, what you got to do is get in the water as much as you possibly can get really comfortable doing basic swimming. So freestyle swimming with, with dive fins on. So we, we use, uh, jet fins, basically some sort of jet fins, some variation of that. And you got to be able to fin just basically forever with jet fins. You're, you're towing, towing a dive brick. So basically a side toe with a dive brick or towing a buddy for like thousands of meters. You got to be able to have just strong legs. So basically strong legs, um, strong water confidence. So lots of underwater laps treading with a dive brick. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. If you have water confidence, strong legs, you could probably make it through summer school. That's my, that's my thing. Anything else fins for stuff to train no i know that was interesting talking to uh the pj there brian or is it brian deckard cody yeah uh brendan brendan yeah, yeah sorry um <laughs> yeah coming on and yeah he was talking about how the the pj pipeline evolved to include yeah assessments on the candidate's personality right like to to see you know how they would operate in that team environment i i, I thought that was potentially a, a great system to have in place. Cause I think somebody, uh, was talking at one point and, and they mentioned, you know, it's one thing to have a stud, right. That's not cranking out 80 pushups and whatnot, but nobody wants to work with them. Right. That's not, that's going to break down the team versus what you got. The guy that supposed to meet the 50 pushup mark and he does 48, dude, he's probably eventually going to get to the 50 pushup mark, but he's, he's a stud. He's a great leader. He's a, you know, a great team member. He, he's got his mental dialed well, who would you prefer to have on the team? Right. So, um, as far as swimmers go, you know, I, I guess you operate as a team in the, in the aircraft, but once you get on scene, you are a little bit more separated, but I, I still think it's a valuable thing to, to potentially assess here right? is like folks, personality and, and how they, they would operate in that, in that team environment. But as, as of now, it's really just, can you meet the standards? Right. Um, no discrimination on your personality or whatnot. So. So, so speaking of, of discriminating based on anything, and I think you've already covered this, I just want to put it out there and ask it because we get this question fairly often, uh, even though it's been answered, is females. Females are allowed in and about how many are there? And uh, is, are there any issues with that or is it just the standard and you just ready, set, go? Yeah, it's 100% standard. Um, if you meet the requirements and you're solid in summer school, you're going to get through. There's been... I can't say the uh, exact number, approximately like seven, seven ish, seven to eight female rescue swimmers. And there's a few active right now. Um, we had one on our podcast recently and the ones that make it through are studs. And, you know, they, a lot of times they're just crushing the guys in the pool. Um, and it, yeah, if they can pass everything, doesn't matter. They, they're good to go. There's no, there's nothing holding you back. And uh, so just kind of switching back, I know you guys, uh, your podcast is called The Rescue Swimmer Mindset, and I want to talk about that just a little bit, um, you know, just because a lot of people that are coming in, I think it's pretty transferable across branches and things that guys are doing, you know, the end state, you know, for pararescue versus rescue swimmer is that you're going to go out there, you're going to risk your life to bring somebody else home. And I know earlier on in my career, um, especially when I was training for this thing, one of my biggest fears is like, what am I going to do if I'm not able to save 
a person. I'm not able to, you know, go through it. And I know, you know, PTSD and all that kind of stuff is kind of prevalent. And even in the guardian, they show that stuff of where, you know, the guy's not able to save whoever, one of his buddies and that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, from my, my point of view, um, you know, it's gotten, it's always going to be difficult to go be in that situation where, you know, you can't actually save everyone. Um, how does that play for you guys? And do you guys have any advice to people who are considering this thing and they, you know, are playing that out in their head? Like, what, what do you guys do when you find yourself in that situation? Tough question. Like, uh, I think like there was a couple of jokes in the shop at one point, like I was kind of the grave digger because most of the cases I would go on, like, yeah, it was mostly just uh, somebody being dead. So it was too late. Um, and yeah, like seeing those dead bodies in the water is definitely something that, that sticks with you. Um, I don't know. I, it's a, that's a hard one. I'm still trying to work out myself. Um, how do you get out of it? You, you know, you go through your venues, you, I don't know, your VA or like whatnot. And yeah, I don't know. Talk about it, I guess, you know, and try to stay active always in your, in your life. That's kind of what we, we preach. And like, you know, once you've reached a certain goal, keep going, working towards the next, you know, and yeah don't don't stay uh, stagnant ever it's definitely important yeah and i think one of the important aspects of that too is just you know your whole goal is to do good as the job that you signed up for um for pararescue and for me when i measure you know the amount of good versus the potential amount of bad that i might have done like i don't know could i have stepped earlier to the aircraft or you know gotten something else prepared sooner or could i have you know, done whatever and gotten to the place sooner and then help that patient. Um, who knows? I mean, what, what, how many seconds is it? Have they been dead? Um, whatever. But, you know, I think as long as you put your best foot forward and you're able to actually say like, yes, <laughs> I mean, as far as I can tell, I can't prepare for every single thing that's going to happen, but you know, all my stuff was ready. I was trained and I did my best. Um, and then your good outweighs the amount of, you know, potential bad that you will have done because I'm sure you've actually uh, seen the person that's coming home and had that kind of reward of like, yeah, I did my job and this person was able to go home. So I think um, that's just an important, I just wanted to cover that and get a little bit deeper for a second and talk about uh, that kind of stuff just because, you know, for myself, it was weighing through my head um, when I was trying to come in. Cody, you got anything on that? Um, as far as that goes, I think a big thing that I, try to teach people is for even for training is using like a disassociative mindset or so if you have a situation you know you look back um on a case or something you know and something went wrong it didn't go how you wanted it to go someone didn't get back in the helicopter with you um basically you can you know kind of take a step back and look at that situation objectively and try to find areas where you messed up but try to detach your emotions from it you know just look at it from maybe like a third person someone who would be like reading it in like a in a man and not a manual but like in a a report written up later and try to find the things you can correct for future reference and kind of move on, try to just detach emotionally from things like that. Yeah. It's definitely important to be able to detach in the situation and it may feel pretty surreal when you're going through it. And then eventually once you actually sit down and think about it, that's when everything just kind of comes crashing down. You're like, what just happened? Like you try and go over the process over and over again, but it's important. Like Vince was talking about to go and talk to somebody about, you know, what you're going through, preferably somebody who, was there or can feel the same things that you were feeling. Um, all right. So lighten it up just a little bit. Um, so it sounds like I want to talk about family stuff real quick, just cause we get this question a lot, um, for us because we're deployed a lot. And, you know, like I told 
people in the past over 300 days my first year um i was gone as a pj so what's family life like for you guys and is it pretty consistent as far as if people want to have kids and that kind of stuff and do that job or what does that look probably hands down by far the best job in the military as far as like managing a family life i think as far as like again it depends on the season right so like if is there a lot, a lot of like uh, commercial fishermen out there and there's a lot of cases, you might be a lot busier and, and that takes away from your family. But in my own experience, depending on where you get stationed, you get a good amount of time. Um, you know, it, it's a good schedule. You know, it's, it's fair. If you, if you have a case, then you get the, I think like the full next day off sometimes. So, um, and then yeah, you tend to have weekends if there's no duty. So it's, it's, you know, tends to be a, a civilian job, if not less than like a nine to five, sometimes it's, it's less than nine to five. So, um, say I'd say it's very manageable to have a family. Um, and it, it if anything, it sh- should be something to strive for not something that should scare you off is to, to have this job where you can have the time for your family. Agreed. Yeah. hundred percent. And I was not expecting that answer that, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, because like usually like 99% of the time, it's like, bro, it's hard. And you guys are like, nah, man, it's cool. Like definitely have time for family. And I'm just like, I guess here, the, the caveat is we don't, bit. we don't actually have families. We don't have um, kids. So we're, yeah. So, <laughs> um, but, so everyone, okay, yeah. everyone, yeah, yeah, so we can that's a good qualifier. speak first person there. Um, but I've never heard someone complain about the family life as a rescue from the Coast Guard. No one at our, we had, I mean, everyone pretty much at we're in Detroit where we were both stationed, um, like the majority of the air or of the air station and just the summer shop had families and no one complained about it. Yeah. And not just that, like the, the system in place, depending on the shop and the command and whatnot, but you know, you usually support each other. So you're like, Hey, like, uh, my kids got some going on. I, I got to go now. Usually somebody's going to pick up your slack and just, uh, cover your ass for, for that period of time. Um, so from my understanding, like, yeah, it, it's a good gig for, for family life. That said, you know, um, we were just talking with a guest that's stationed Kodiak and some of the swimmers occasionally go out and are stationed on a helo that's tied to a cutter. So a boat out there in the Bering Sea, you know, that'll take you away from your family for a couple of weeks on end, if not a month or two. So, you know, there are those shorter deployments, uh, but we're not going per se overseas um, to, to f- do a tour for a year. You know, um, that's not how it the job is, you know, set out. So it's structured, right. Yeah. yeah. And I think on our side of the fence, our, our support system and our, our command structure is usually uh, as flexible as they can be to help everybody, you know, maintain that, that work-life balance. Uh, but I think we kind of opened up like a, what, what's the difference between, you know, Air Force spec war PJs and, and, and uh, rescue swimmers. And as the only uh, person on this podcast currently right now, that's, uninterested in, in saving people i guess i'll just kind of put this out to everybody can can someone please summarize what the difference is between uh pararescue and uh the, the coast guard rescue swimmers i guess y'all y'all get to take a hack at it sure um uh, I, i'll just say like i think i think a lot of folks that join the coast guard it tends to be you know, for the opportunity to save lives versus take lives. Um, I think, you know, folks that go, I, I think there's a similarity of anybody that's going to special forces type, you know, Navy SEAL or Green Beret or whatnot. They want to have the challenge and see if they're capable of making it test, test their wits, test their, their strengths, their physical, their, their ten- tenacity, if you will. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's like, it's that mission of maybe you didn't want to go buds, which is grueling 
but not for that purpose of not going through the training. It's just maybe like the mission itself of, of potentially having to take lives. Uh, swimmers, yeah, it's really based around search and rescue. So um, I think that's definitely one of the, the appeals as a difference to, to maybe the PJ mission, you know? Yeah. What it seems like basically, I mean, we don't have, we have no guns. That's basically the big difference. Um, <laughs> but like realistically um, we do a lot of search and rescue, I mean, if you're like in getting joining the Coast Guard, be rescue somewhere, we're going to be doing search and rescue. Like, you're definitely going to have a search and rescue, like a case. You're going to go save lives. You're probably going to do that a lot, like pretty often if you stay in for, for a long time. It seems like we do that more often than a PJ would. Um, but, but when a PJ is called out, I'm, I'm, it's usually like a bigger case or more gnarly from what I understand. But I don't know if that seems kind of accurate or not. Just less volume. But. Yeah. I would say that's true, you know, taking the, the combat aspect of it, you know, completely out. Like we do have a lot of a lot of skill sets that are, are remarkably similar. You know, y- you might not be able to tell the difference. You know, if we were dressed in the same clothes and, and working on a helo, you might not be able to tell the difference between a rescue swimmer, you know, on a case as opposed to a PJ. And like I said, before we started recording, we we've worked with rescue swimmers before. And, you know, we're looking forward to going down to a story and working with those guys and gals as well. So, yeah, I think the main difference would just be that that combat aspect of it. And then, you know, the whole soft you know the whole soft side of it i i think the rescue swimmer mission is awesome because it truly is you're totally focused on search and rescue so we always try to help people decide because they'll ask us should i be a rescue swimmer should i be a pj and we say well what what do you want to do is what you really want to do just solely focused on search and rescue or do you want that special operations combat aspect of it, because that's a, that's a big, that's a big dividing line, you know, and it's totally okay for people that aren't sensitized to it. Cause sometimes people, even with PJs are like, Oh, you guys are totally focused on just search and rescue. And we're like, well, no, we have, we have a whole lot of other things that we focus on. And depending on the mission set, sometimes we're not focused on search and rescue at all. We're focused on shoot, move, communicate, and be a part of a special operations team that's performing a direct action function as opposed to truly like, Hey, somebody's hurt, lost or dying. And we need you to go get them. Just uh, last week on the podcast, Cody was mentioning the fact that, yeah, he went to advanced helicopter rescue swimmer school with a couple of PJs and their adaptability was really spot on. And their ability to just learn a task really quickly and perform, execute it like, well, you know, something that we train on a day to day, but not necessarily you guys, but you pick it up really quick. Cody, like, do you have anything to add about that? Like serving with the PJs? Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, we, I went through the, the advanced helicopter swimmer school with two of them. They were solid. They're both in Portland. I don't know if there's it's a reserve unit, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. They, they were solid guys, both of them. And I mean, you pretty much could give them like any task and, they would be like, Oh yeah, that's pretty simple. Even though they hadn't done it before. It seemed like it seemed like, cause they were like deploying into like what we were doing. You know, we do that stuff all the time. Like we trained to get deployed into heavy seas, you know, breaking surf and caves and stuff. And they were just like, Oh yeah, we'll try that. Like whatever. And they were just solid. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, all right, it's impressive. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. I mean, like, I, what right. are we doing today? Yeah, exactly. Brian, a funny story. Brian and I were in Iceland together. We were doing a, the NATO air policing mission, right? So we were basically the team that was, um, if, if one of the pilots were to punch out over, you know, the Icelandic Northern Atlantic, um, we would have to go get him. So the Icelandic coast guard wanted to do some work and we were like, Oh yeah, we'll totally, yeah, we'll just throw the dry suits on and we'll go get in the water and we'll pretend to be survivors. So they didn't tell us until like way later, but they brought us in and they were just like, yeah, uh, 
the training was so popular because there were a ton of people, like a ton of people wanted to come out and like take part in this training. Well, it turns out that nobody was dumb enough to just volunteer to get into that frigid water for as long as you needed to train. And Brian and I didn't know any better because we're just like, oh, I mean, yeah, what do you, what do you yeah. need? You just need us to jump in this freezing water and be your survivors all day? Sure. Yeah, that's fine. Is that what we're doing today? <laughs> You're like good to go. <laughs> that sounds like something a rescue day. center would do too. They'd be like, "All right, so yeah, sounds fun." <laughs> yeah, what are, what are we doing? That sounds awful. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brian, did you have something for that? Sorry. No, go ahead. Okay, I'll do it at the end. Cool. You got the wrap. So my my last question really is is for Vince and Cody, and it's it's what what do you think it is about you two that that made you successful at being rescue swimmers, and as always. Uh, was it worth it and why? Okay. Yeah. So as far as being successful, I would say, um, like we mentioned earlier, it's just staying calm, um, in like intense situations. And that's something I think I've always had. You just get really tested on that at summer school. Um, so that, well, number one thing is just being able to stay calm and collected, follow your procedures. Uh, what were the other two? I kind of blanked there. <laughs> no, just the last one is, is, you know, looking back at your time, uh, was it worth it? Oh, hundred percent. It was definitely worth it. Um, I'm actually debating right now, getting back in the coast guard to do the same job. So, um, that's still to be determined, but it was worth it. It was a blast. That siren song, man. Yeah. You, you, you almost made it. You made it out the other side. Now you're going to go yeah, back I think in. I'm trying to go back in. So um, one more. Yeah, <laughs> that's one awesome, dude. I, yeah, exactly. That's so. motivating. Oh yeah. Well, cause it's like, you, you know, you know better now, you know, the good and the bad part of it. Exactly. And you know what you're getting back into, man, that's commendable. Oh yeah. I'm excited. So, um, yeah, hundred percent was worth it. Um, and obviously I'd do it again. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'll say like this little story, you know, I, I mentioned the too, too dumb to quit. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there was a, a swimmer, I don't know, you, you recall him Cody, but Robin, uh, you know, a very strong swimmer in our shop. We, we were doing like a little training and at the end of the training, we did like a tug of war and he was pulling on one end of the rope. I was pulling on the other and you know, this thing usually it takes a couple seconds, right? But this thing dragged on for like, I want to say three minutes and three minutes of pulling on these, like a, a rope as strong as you can is like a long time. And I, I think he eventually let go. And like I pulled, pulled him across the the finish line and he goes like, you know, I just stopped at one point cause I know you were seriously too stupid to quit. And I think, that, yeah, there's something <laughs> to say about that. Like you, you just need to be able to, to push it to, to the very end, um, of, of your, your abilities and just, yeah, it's not really an option. Um, that said, don't go into it with the, the cocky mindset of like, you're going to make it, but just going over with that mindset of. I'm, regardless of what happens, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pinch. I'm not going to pop on the underwaters. I'm not going to, you know, call it a day. Um, and then I guess the last thing that kind of our motto in my class going through the, the swimmer school was look strong, be strong. So regardless of how afraid you are or how much anxiety you have, you know, personally, I think I always came off. I might, one of my flaws was I always came off as cocky. Um, but the reality is I was really scared, right? There, there's definitely anxiety there. And I think my my shell was to, to come off as cocky still to this day, something I work on. Um, but I think that was an asset when it came out to going out on the pool deck, right? Like again, look strong, be strong. Like I, I might've been like a wreck before, but then the second I kick in that, 
that door to the pool deck, I was like, I'm gonna fuck all these instructors up. Sorry for my French, but like, like it was like, <laughs> no, I love it. first yeah, of all, that's, awesome. that's not French, but I'm, <laughs> I am motivated, baby. Yeah, I'm go. about that. Yeah. I am about that. Go take some souls with your young student self. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, look strong, be strong is something not to forget. That is some fantastic advice right there. I think, you know, what you were talking about, look strong, be strong. Um, when I would, whenever I would walk out into the pool deck, obviously, you know, I'm fairly chill kind of person or whatever, and I'm not like a yelling in your face kind of person at all. Um, but when I walked out onto the deck, you know, I did my instructor role and everything, and you'd see a lot of students that were just, you know, kind of shoulders hunched over, looking down at the pool, felt like they're about to get their butt handed to them, and they will if they act like that. And I just like, what are you guys doing? Like first couple of weeks, that's my biggest thing is like working on that even just projecting like you're confident, even if you're not confident, because you don't know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen for the most part. <laughs> I mean, unless things really go south and you guys mess up too bad, but, um, you know, getting that little thing out of your head is like, all right, they're not going to give me anything that I cannot do. It's all going to be stuff that is in some kind of, you know, lesson plan or they've done, or it's been at least somewhat tested to where I can do this thing, whatever is going to happen. And I think just projecting that confidence and sitting on the deck with your chest out, chin up, ready to fight, whatever is going to be coming your way, um, really goes a long way, not only for the way the instructors perceive you, but also for the way that you perceive yourself in that kind of situation. So if you have that mentality of like, all right, I'm ready to mess some stuff up. And then you go on to the next, next thing, obviously things are going to get tough you're gonna get slapped in the face every once in a while and you're gonna to have to re-examine your your you know perceived toughness but you know just keep on going with it and um i think that's really important to to realize as you're going through this thing because there's going to be things that you've obviously never done before that's why you're there to push yourself past those limits and increase your abilities to you know do whatever it is that you've been training up for so um, super awesome. Again, thank you guys both for coming on the uh, podcast. Um, you know, it's a rescue swimmer mindset podcast. Make sure you guys go check them out, listen to them. Um, biggest things that, uh, I kind of picked up because I'd known, you know, one other rescue swimmer that went through and he was cross training over into PJ. And that's the only way that I knew him. Um, we used to call him the guardian because that was when the movie had just come out. So that was his nickname during the whole time. Just nice. want to bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> to his credit though, there's not many people that you, you'll say they smoked in doc cause it was in doc back then. He, he was actually like, a marvel to watch in the water like yeah. that that dude crushed that water con event he, the instructors were trying to screw them and they, it was he was nearly unscrew withable no nice. one doubted from day one that he was going to make it so you know that really transfers over and like you're talking about the mindset of the rescue swimmers is the same thing and kind of summarize all the stuff that um, you've been talking about um, obviously the coast guard mission is a little bit different than the air force or um, the other branches that are combat oriented uh, type of mission but i think I get a lot of emails from guys that are like, do I have to shoot people as a pararescue man or do I have to do this? Or what is the combat like? What is deployment like? All that kind of stuff. And, you know, if your mindset is like, I want, I want to go in and I want to save people and I specifically want to do that. And you've done the firefighting job. You want to find a different aspect. A lot of your rotations, the way that you're on shift, the way that you like deploy for one a month or two to a cutter and that kind of stuff. Very similar to that kind of mindset um, of firefighters and being able to rescue versus, you know, pararescue, um, your 
going to be on a rotation to deploy pretty much every year for four or five months out of the year to whatever other country do land based type of stuff in addition to this kind of stuff. So I kind of see it as being like a general practitioner as a PJ as a jack of all trades, but we're not going to be as well versed as you guys at doing all the, you know, in flight or specific swimming techniques. None of us, I'm sure you guys could probably outswim us um, with that kind of stuff because we don't have, that's not our main thing. Swimmers, not in our, our, uh, title basically. <laughs> so, um, you know, you guys would be like the, you know, surgeon or specialty person if you were a medical person. Um, so that's kind of how I view that. And then also the positive for you guys from what it sounds like is family life. If you were looking into that and you're looking to do something awesome and you have kids or you want to just, you know, be there a little bit more often, um, not to say that PJs can't be there, but you know, like I said, 300 days on my first year as a PJ. So you can expect to be gone a lot, um, with the AF spec, spec war job, but, uh, rescue swimmers sounds like you have a better, a little bit, uh, more time at home anyway. So, I think those are the biggest differences. You guys got anything else to add to that? I was just going to say, like, if folks are trying to, like, better themselves in the aquatic realm, even going PJ, we do have a lot of students that, you know, check out the programs that we have for that. Like, we have a, a hold your breath like a helicopter rescue swim program. So, for the water confidence aspect of things, it, it tends to be helpful uh, breaking it down, really, to the science and, like, the the operational aspect of, you know, just, just succeeding in the water. Um and yeah, like it, it, it's, it's cool. Like seeing all these different branches, uh, coming in for these elite military programs and, and going through and getting, getting our help. And then even seeing your, your podcast and learning, it's, it's kind of cool to build this community, you know? Absolutely. That's what yeah, it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Building that community, making sure that we kind of cross talk, you know, there's no reason for us to not cross talk in this day and age. And that's why we're doing this podcast. We'll continue doing other ones. Um, we got a Green Beret that's lined up and then a couple other guys that are going to be um, of those kind of, you know, different career fields, special operations type, where we can just try and differentiate. And like I said in the beginning, what kind of jobs you might want to do and what mission aligns with your core values. That way your entire, you know, wholeheartedly, you can walk into that career field and say, this is what I want to do. And this is why I want to do it. And then all the rest, obviously you need to complete the selection. Um, but I think it's very important for you guys to try and have the options and the opportunity to decide on which one you're going to want to go to. So thanks again for um, Cody and Vince for coming on and sharing a little bit of their knowledge with us. Make sure you guys go check out their, they got a YouTube and they also have a podcast rescue swimmer mindset. So check them out. They got some cool videos where they're like they said, uh, going through and breaking down some of the videos that are similar to underwater scenes and all that kind of stuff. Um, so super awesome dudes. And we really appreciate you coming on for you guys out there. Thank you again. Like I said, it's been a year and we appreciate the support that you guys have shown us over the past year if you guys ever have any people that you want to get on as guests or anything like that always you know hit us up in the inbox and of course we're always out there answering your messages so you guys go out there train hard earn each breath and we'll see you guys later thanks fellas have a good one appreciate it